Okay, so it's so, gl- uh, so good to have you uh, join us this morning uh, on Facebook. And uh, uh, what a week we've had, and it doesn't look like uh, things are going to change much for the next couple of weeks. Uh, canceling our weekend gathering uh, was a very difficult decision uh, to make. Uh, there's a lot of concern, a lot of confusion about the challenges that we're facing uh, during this uh, coronavirus episode. But So let me say this before uh, we get into our passage. Uh, this morning, while God has not given us a spirit of fear, uh, he's also called us to love our neighbors, uh, to honor our governing authorities, and uh, to be a positive uh, contributor uh, to our uh, society. And so exercising caution uh, is not only wise, uh, but it's an opportunity for us to say that we care about our community and we're willing to play our part in making things better, especially for those who are directly affected Uh, by this situation. So uh, we would just ask you to continue to pray for those who are directly affected and pray for uh, pray for all of us. Pray for our our government leaders, pray for our church leaders. Um, And uh, as we navigate these uncharted waters, uh, uh, Psalm 37 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. There's no reason uh, to give into a spirit of fear. Uh, We're trusting the Lord and then taking the opportunities to be good. Uh, in the way that he is calling us. So um, with that uh, said, we are looking, uh, we are walking our way through the book of James. We've been doing this for a number of weeks. James is talking about what the life of a Jesus follower actually looks like in very practical terms. Two weeks ago, we talked about conflict and anger, what happens when we don't get what we want and how that creates chaos uh, in, in our relationships. Uh, without the lordship of Jesus in us, we are all kingdom builders. And so when we're trying to build our own kingdom, uh, those kingdoms come in conflict. conflict. And so uh, he moves into another section of his letter uh, talking about our life and the planning of our life. James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament because he's always dropping bits of wisdom throughout this letter. And if you think about it, Proverbs in the Old Testament was all about two different ways of living. Living wisely or living foolishly. There's a wise way to live and there's a foolish way uh, to live. And so uh, what ultimately serves us and honors God is choosing what is wise in the way that we live. And when we choose to live foolishly, uh, there, is a, there is a way that seems right to us at a time, but ultimately it's destructive to us. And so uh, uh, Solomon said this in Proverbs, uh, excuse me, Psalm 14:1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, uh, there is no God. And then Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So the foolish person gives no thought to God. Uh, he declares independence from God. I don't need him. I'm smart enough. I'm strong enough. I'm resourceful enough to do life on my own. I can make life work. And at, so at the heart of foolishness is pride. It's all about me. Uh, It's all about what I can do. Wisdom, on the other hand, knows that's impossible. Wisdom knows that they cannot do life on on their own. Wisdom knows it's it's humble enough to acknowledge uh, that the only way to live life fully is to acknowledge the giver of life and to follow his pattern uh, for life. Acknowledging God is the beginning of wisdom, and that's what James is going to talk to us about in this next passage. So uh, if you have a Bible and want to follow along, I'm going to start with verse 13, and I'm going to work my way through verse 17 in James chapter 4, where he says, come now, you who say today and tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know 
what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? I want to stop there for just a second. What is your life? Have you ever thought about your life? Have you asked yourself this question, what is my life? Wise people have thought about this. Wise people have asked this question, what is my life? They've, talked, they've thought about the meaning of life, the, person of, uh, the purpose of life, the reason behind life. Who am I? Why am I here? How did I get here? Where am I going? Uh, proud people, proud people who say there is no God, uh, have been driven to despair because of these questions. But humble people, wise people, people who start with God, uh, have a far different reaction to these questions. What is your life? What is your life? James is telling us, don't be foolish when it comes to your life. What is your life? He goes on in this passage, verse 14. For you are a mist. Your life is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So what, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Here's the point in what I'm going to say this morning, and you, maybe you can write this down. Uh, there is nothing more wise than to acknowledge God in every aspect of your life. There is nothing more wise than to acknowledge God in every aspect of your life. And there is nothing more foolish than to ignore God in any aspect of your life. What is your life? Do you know what your life is? Do you know how uh, you know what your life is? Where did you come from and why are you here? And James would say to us, without God, there is no explanation for your existence. There is no adequate reason for your life. And so James, James begins, with this pa uh, begins this passage with this, come now you who say. Come now you, you people, and he's kind of like segmenting his audience. Those of you who say this sort of thing, uh, the problem with that is that I think most all of us say this sort of thing. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to go here or there. We're going to do this or that. This is uh, what we're going to accomplish, and this is what's going to happen as a result. We, uh, most all of us, uh, plan out our days. We plan our life. Those who don't plan their life have no life. I mean, and we have those two types of people in the world, those who plan everything in their life and those who kind of fly by the seat of their pants. And so those who plan frustrate those who don't plan and those who don't plan kind of frustrate those uh, who do. And it makes life really interesting because usually those who plan and those who don't plan, when they meet each other, they get married. And so it creates all kinds of problems uh, in your relationship. This is natural for us, James is saying. Today we will go here. Uh, tomorrow, uh, we will do this. We will go uh, and, and accomplish this. And we will have this kind of result. There's, there, we have a plan. There's a start date and there's an end date to the plan. There's a destination to the plan. There's a time frame. There's an objective to the plan. This is when we're going. This is where we're going. This is what we're going to do when we get there. This is what we're going to accomplish uh, once we're there. And now notice, uh, here's the thing. James doesn't condemn that. Uh, James uh, doesn't criticize that. Uh, and in fact, you go back to the book of Proverbs and you'll find that Solomon uh, would even commend that. There's nothing wrong with making these kinds of plans. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 9 says, the heart of man plans his way. The heart of man plans his way. Ja Remember what Jesus said? No, one's, uh, no, one plan no one sits down to build a tower without first 
planning. Get a plan. Figure out how much it's going to cost. Figure out how this is going to happen. Uh, even Jesus said planning is wise. There is wisdom in planning. And like, but like James, Solomon would say that's not enough. I mean, there's a second half to Proverbs 16.9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord, but the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord establishes his steps. So what both James and Solomon would be saying here is that uh, there's nothing foolish in a plan unless that plan is incomplete. And every plan is incomplete when that plan doesn't include God. Without God, plans are always incomplete. There's nothing more wise than to acknowledge God in every aspect of your life, and there's nothing more foolish than to ignore God in any aspect of your life. And so this is what we need. We need wisdom uh, for life. What is your life? Well, your life is a plan. Your life is a plan. Think about this. You had a start date. Uh, you have an end date. We all know that. And in between those two dates are people, places, and things, hopes and dreams, accomplishments and failures, school, job, marriage, children, hobbies, travel, projects. Your life is filled with plans. And if you don't plan well, your life will not be lived well. And so James gives us in this passage three reasons why we need wisdom for life. Here's the first one. Life is complex. Life is complex. Everyone has a plan, and it just seems like generation to generation, those plans are getting more and more complex because our lives are getting more and more complex. We're arranging our lives with the best possible outcomes, but there are so many things to our life, jobs and kids and schools and hobbies and extended families and plant projects, and it's, it's hard to fit everything in. It seems, it seems to get harder and harder as, as life goes by. Ironically, the easier technology makes life seems like the more complex life becomes. We just simply can't fit it all in. Life is complex. Secondly, James says life is uncertain. In verse 14, he says you, do, you don't know. You, you don't know. You do not know. Say that under your breath. You do not know. James is quoting Psalm 27 here where it says, do not boast about tomorrow because you do not know what tomorrow will bring forth. Even Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. You plan your work or you work your plan, but there's no guarantee. There are no guarantees. A phone call can change everything. You've been there. A virus can turn everything, can turn life upside down. And so you plan. Uh, you have a one-year plan. You have a five-year plan. You have a 10-year plan. You've got everything mapped out until beyond retirement. And you may die tomorrow. So, I mean, the t so the temptation is kind of twofold. I mean, uh, the uncertainty of life can make someone paranoid, gripped in fear and worry about their plans, or it can produce passivity. Why plan? Because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Well, you have a life. God has given you a life. And your life is a plan. Planning is one of the wisest things you can do. It's one of the most normal things you can do. But planning and controlling are two different things. You can plan, but you cannot control. Life is uncertain. That's the point that James is making here. You can plan. You should plan, but you cannot control. Why? Because you do not know. Life is complex. Life is uncertain. And here's the third thing. But life is, life is important. Life is very important. In verse 14, he, he describes our life as a mist. You are a mist. You are a, now your life, your life 
is compared to a mist. Now, there's two things I want you to think about before we go on. Two things that you need to realize about your life. Number one, you were created in the image of God. That's how important you are. You are, you are the crowning achievement of God's creativity. When I consider the work of your hands, what is man that you are mindful of him? There is nothing more in creation that God is delighted in than your creation. There is nothing God is more pleased with than his creation of you. You were created in his image. However, here's the second thing. You were made from dirt. So get some perspective. <laughs> you were created from, from the dust of the earth to the image of God. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, but your life is a mist. Your life is a mist. James uses a particular word describing the nature of your existence here. He's not using the word fog. A mist and a fog are not necessarily the same thing. A fog is a, a dense cloud of water. And a fog can obscure visibility. Fo a fog can shut down airports. A fog can disrupt traffic, create all kinds of havoc in traffic. But this is a mist. Think about a, this is like the, the, your breath on a cold morning. You can see it for an instant, and then, all, and then it just disseminates into the air. A mist, think about this, a mist never delayed school for two hours. It's not that powerful. A, a mist is fragile. You can't grab onto it or hold onto it. A mist is fleeting. It's like the grass of the field, the Bible says, here today and gone tomorrow. And once it's gone, it's forgotten. No one remembers the mist. One of these days, people are going to say, uh, remember the coronavirus of 2020? But nobody's ever going to say, remember the mist of whatever year it was. Nobody, nobody remembers a mist. James is saying, not only do you lack the knowledge to predict your life, your life is a mist. You lack the power to control your life. Your life is a mist. You don't know. You do not know. So he goes on in verse 15 and says, instead, you ought to say, you ought to say in your wisdom, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. If the Lord wills, we will live. In other words, it's not enough to say my life is a mist. I need to say my life is in the hands of God. He has given me the capacity to plan. He has given me the will to plan. He's given me the strength to plan. But he does not give me the control over the outcome of those plans. And so I want us to consider the progression of James' argument here. In verse 13, you find the phrase, we will live, we will live. And in verse 15, we, you find the same phrase, we will live, we will live. But there's a difference in verse 13 and verse 15 in the fact that James says we need to qualify that phrase. If the Lord wills, we will live. Lord willing, you've heard that phrase, maybe you've said that phrase, Lord willing, we will do this. Lord willing, this will happen. What are you doing? You're acknowledging God in your plans. You're submitting your plans uh, to God's will. Now, uh, before we go any further than this, I need to make this point uh, about this phrase, Lord willing, Lord willing. James is not telling us the secret uh, to doing whatever you want. Okay, you don't just tack on the phrase, Lord willing, and then you just go about your life as if your life should go the way you want it to go. Okay, this is like, this is like praying in the name of Jesus. Uh, we've been taught to pray in Jesus' name. Uh, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Uh, Jesus said, you pray in my name and I will give you whatever you want. And so sometimes we misunderstand what he's saying there. What does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? 
it means that, that, I'm, that I'm asking for, to pray in the name of Jesus means that I'm asking for everything Jesus would ask for if it was Jesus asking. Praying in the name of Jesus is, is saying, I want what Jesus wants. And friends, that's the key to, to, to answered prayer. When I want what Jesus wants, Jesus will always give me what I want. My kids, when they ask me for what I want them to have, I delight in giving them what they want. Dad, can I have more vegetables? Well, of course, you can have more vegetables. I will be glad uh, to give you more vegetables. And so this is how this works. Jesus will always give you what you want if you want what Jesus wants. But that, there's the rub, right? Because we don't always want what Jesus wants. Uh, our plans are not always what God would plan for us. Uh, but so here's the deal. You may, know, you may know what you want, but you may not know. You do not know what's best. You, you do not know. You do not know what tomorrow will bring, and you do not know what the best is in that tomorrow. Jesus knows. Uh, and so the question is, can you trust him to give you what is best, even when it conflicts with what you want? So if the Lord wills, uh, this is not a phrase that you just need to repeat over and over when you're, uh, when you're making your plans. This is not a phrase that you tack on to your agenda hoping God gives you a rubber stamp of approval. This is, this is a principle. This is a way to live out your life, a principle of seeking God's will before you determine your plans. Knowing that your plans are fallible and may not line up with what God's best is for you. And so you live open-handed with your plans, living in humility before a God who wants the best for you and who knows what's best for you. And that your plans, what you may want, may come in conflict with what God wants for you. A God who is in control wanting what is best for you. So uh, this is the problem that James is addressing. In, it is the height of arrogance to plan without God as the source of those plans. It is offensive to the God who created you. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Why? Because here's the deal, friends. Planning without God, planning without God is presuming God does not matter or that God does not exist. That God is not a factor in the affairs of your life. It is the ultimate cosmic snub. Have you ever been snubbed? Um, have, you, have you ever been ignored? How, do, how does it feel to be ignored? Uh, you, walk in a, you walk into a room and people don't acknowledge you. Or if they look up at you, they quickly look away. They don't, no one greets you or acknowledges you or gives any indication that your existence matters. There's almost nothing worse than someone... I would rather be criticized than ignored. At least I'm being considered, right? Every, every person is created in the image of God with dignity and worth. Nobody should be treated as a nobody. I think we would all agree with that. And so what is James saying in this passage? Friends, planning without acknowledging God in your life, planning without first seeking God in your life, is treating God like a nobody. It is arrogant. It is foolish. James says it is evil. That's pretty strong language. It is evil, not just offensive, but evil. Why? Because wh what is pride? Pride is forgetting God. Uh, you were made in the image of God. That's awesome. But you were made from dirt. That's, hum that's, that's humbling. 
You do not know. You are not in control. You have a life that needs to be planned, but you have a God who knows what is best. So here's the deal, friends. When you forget who God is, you forget who you are because God is the source of your life. What is, what is your life? Your life is nothing without God. You are nothing without God. And when you forget God, you are assuming his place in your life. That's what pride does. When you forget God, you are declaring your own omniscience and your own omnipotence. Think about this. God is omniscient. He knows everything. And God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He's in control. Only God knows everything, and only God can control everything. But pride, pride says, I know. Pride says, I can do. Pride declares itself God. And there are at least two consequences uh, to that kind of arrogant, foolish thinking. Here's, and here's the first. When you plan without God, when you treat God like a nobody in your life, you set yourself up for overconfidence overconfidence. Pride always leads to overconfidence. When you ignore God, you're saying, I know as much as you do. I know better than you. I know what needs to be done. I know, I'm, I know how I'm going to do it. I know how this needs to go, and this is what I'm going to do uh, to control the outcome. And, and actually, sometimes that works out. I mean, we've been there. You've, you've set your plans, and those plans have succeeded. You made it happen. You got the results that you wanted. Kudos to you. Look at you. Aren't you something? And you think, you know what? I can handle this. I can do life on my own. Life is good. Pride feeds on success. Feels really good to be in charge. But then life falls apart. Things happen that you cannot control. Outcomes that you did not predict. And you're lost. You feel like a failure which leads you to bitterness and anger and depression. You're faced with the reality that outcomes cannot be controlled, that you are not in charge. What happens when the omnipotent one realizes how impotent they really are? And what does that reality produce? You think you know, you do everything in your power to know, but you don't know. And deep down inside, while you're trying to control everything, you know that you don't know, and you're giving all of your energies uh, to stay ahead of the game and to not to appear weak, to, to appear like you have everything under control. And what does that get you? That gets you nothing but worry and anxiety and fear. You worry because you don't know. You worry because you're not in control. You worry because you're going about your life as if God does not matter. Friends, you will always be eaten up with worry to the degree that in your arrogance you say, I know, and I can control. James says, you, instead, you ought to say, you ought to say, when you forget who God is, you forget who you are, and the only outcome is worry, because you do not know and you cannot control. Pride leaves you overconfident, and therefore, number two, it leaves you unprotected. Unprotected. You are a mist. Your life is a mist. How do, you, how do you keep hold of a mist? How do you capture a mist? You know what a mist needs? It, it needs protection. You're fragile. You're fleeting. What is your life? You didn't create it. You can't control it. You're here today. You're gone tomorrow. When you plan your life without the keeper of life, you have no one to keep your life. Pride will always, pride will always lead you to overexposure. You can do it for a while. You can manage appearances for a time. You can handle situations. But friends, life doesn't run on perfect. Eventually, something is going to happen to expose your inability to keep things together. And when you do life without the keeper of life, you will have no one to keep your life. 
So how, so how does this work? What, what is your life? Well, whatever it is, it, it is always conditioned by a greater reality. James says, instead, you ought to say. In other words, you constantly need to be acknowledging God in your life, seeking God in your life. He's saying you must take whatever life brings your way, any experience, any opportunity, any outcome, any good or bad, and remind yourself that God is good and that God is in control, that God knows and he wants what is best. And I am powerless before a God who loves me and has a plan for my life, but I'm also not a robot. I, ha I have to be wise about my life. I have a life that needs to be planned. I have a free will to make choices, and I'm responsible to God for those choices. And when things are going well, I have to acknowledge the goodness of God. I mean, people can applaud my awesomeness because I was able to control my outcomes, but, but me and God know better. <laughs> we know how this happened. And then when things don't go well, when my life is falling apart and I can't hold things together, I don't need to be worried or angry. I don't need to control the outcome. I can rest in a God who loves me and has a plan for my life. I will not ignore the keeper of my life. Because I realize, I realize what it feels like to be forgotten. There's nothing worse than being forgotten. And every time I plan, decide, move, take action on my own, I treat God like he doesn't matter, like he's a nobody. I forget him. Friends, this is the awesome, th this is what makes the gospel so awesome. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 15 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her woman? Even these may forget. God says, I will not forget you. I will not forget you. And so we move into the New Testament where Jesus on the cross uttered these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Or, in other words, why have you forgotten me? Friends, Jesus was cosmically forgotten, ignored by his father so that you and I would never be forgotten. Jesus was ignored so that God would always be mindful of you, wanting what's best for you, wanting to keep your life. What is your life? Your life is God. Your life is dependent on God. Your life is fulfilled by the love of God in your life. Seek him first and all of these things in your life will come together. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful uh, for your teaching this morning. And uh, in whatever living room we're sitting in, wh wherever we're watching this online, uh, Father, in the stillness of the moment, uh, teach us to number our days so that we may live a life of wisdom. Teach us never to forget you, but to always seek you first. Today or tomorrow, we will go here or there. We will do this or that. We will live, but we will never live without you. We will never live without seeking you first so that we can have the life that you created for us. For that end, we pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.